Good morning. Julian Lennon, the son of the now deceased John Lennon. Many of you know who John Lennon was. He's part of the iconic band, The Beatles, a gifted songwriter and musician. And Julian Lennon, his son, was very gifted as well. In his early 20s, he came out with his first album, and it was a bestseller. But he did something unexpected. After that success, he stepped away from music. He said, I struggled to find my calling. Julian's father and mother divorced when he was five years old. He said, my father walked out the door, never to really be seen again. He says, I admired him on TV. I listened to his words and opinions. But for someone who was praised for peace and love and wasn't able to keep that at home, that's hypocrisy. Surprisingly, Julian was a self-taught musician. He said, my dad and I maybe played five chords one time, but that was it. He rarely saw his father. He taught himself his abilities to, to venture into music and to produce such great music. But what's interesting is what Julian had to say about his father. He said, the only thing he ever taught me was how not to be a father. You know, it's my belief that how one perceives God is directly impacted by what they think of their earthly father. We often get our first impression of God from our father and how our father treated us, how your father treated you, what he said, what he did, what he didn't do. All those things have a direct impact, I believe, on how you perceive the Heavenly Father. They shape you in some way, shape, or form. And because we often get our first impression of God from our earthly father, that means that many folks struggle with the concept of God as a father. I mean, close your eyes and think about God. I mean, what comes to mind? When you think about God, what do you think about? And you don't have to give some churchy answer. You know, you can be honest here. What do you think about when you think of God? You think of provider or, you know, maybe you think of, uh, you know, someone who loves you and cares about you. But whatever you think about God, it's probably a direct reflection of what you thought or think about your earthly father. We can't help but make a correlation sometimes. So how do you think of your earthly father? If you think of him as loving and giving, and maybe you think of him as a teacher or a disciplinarian, maybe you think of him as controlling and judgmental, maybe you think of abandonment or abuse, whatever you think about your earthly father, it probably affects your concept of God as a father. But here's the deal. Whether you had a terrible father or a great father, whether you had a mediocre father, it's not an accurate representation of the Heavenly Father. I'm going to say something right now, and I want you to allow it to guide you through the lesson this morning and on into your life, but it's this. Your Heavenly Father is not an enhanced version of your earthly father. It's just not. They're not even on the same plane. So instead of looking at your dad to get an accurate representation of your Heavenly Father, Start with the Heavenly Father. Start with God first and foremost. Because unless you start with God, He's only going to be a replica 
and never the original. A.W. Tozer stated this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Do you believe that? I believe that because how we perceive God determines how we relate to God. And folks, how we relate to God determines everything else in our lives. How we relate to God says everything about us. You know, I've been very open and honest with you about my upbringing, about my family situation. I've talked to you before about my father. My dad is a new Christian. Thankfully, last October, I was able to baptize him. And he is evolving as a babe in Christ, and it's interesting to see that. It's also interesting to see how that shapes our relationship. My dad wasn't home much when I was a child. He was working as a supervisor at Emerson Electric. He was a crop duster. And then what little time he had to spare, he spent on the family farm. He wasn't around much, and, and my assumption is that he wasn't around much because he and my mother were always fighting. And I think that if I were in his position, I'd probably try to get away from that as well. But as I've gotten older, we've gotten closer. And of course, like I said, he's now a new creature in Christ, which is exciting. And when I was home for Thanksgiving, we hopped in his truck and we just drove around. We do this quite often. We just talk. And one thing he said to me was, he said, I feel like a cat. Like I've got nine lives. Because my dad should have been dead several times, believe it or not. As a crop duster, he crashed his plane five times. He has, he has had two heart attacks. One of them should have killed him. 99% blockage in the main artery. All his doctors say, you should be dead. He said, I feel like a cat. I've got, I've got nine lives. Now I've got to figure out why God's keeping me around. And so that launched into a deeper theological discussion. We started talking about spiritual things and all that. But he said something to me that stopped me in my tracks, and I'll never forget. He said, well, I know my main purpose for being here on earth. And I said, you do? Enlighten me. What, what is it? He said, well, my main reason for being here is to be your dad. And I don't know if he's right about that. But how incredibly important is it to have the love and respect of your father? To have a dad that's proud of you. We all want that, don't we? Not all of us have experienced that, but we all want that, right? And so I can easily make a connection here. My dad wasn't home much when I was younger, mainly because he was out providing for me, and my Heavenly Father provides for me. My dad loves me beyond measure, and my Heavenly Father loves me beyond measure. My dad wants me to go to heaven. My Heavenly Father wants me to go to heaven. So I can make a, a connection here. But I also have to admit that my heavenly father and my earthly father are not even on the same plane. My heavenly father is so far and beyond above me and my, and my earthly father that it's not even funny. They're not anywhere close to being on the same plane. I stand with A.W. Tozer who said, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, it says like this. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want you to take note of the first line. Our Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives us a template for prayer. We call it the model prayer, right? And he begins with the address. He says, when you pray, make sure that you say, our Father. I don't know how much you've investigated that or how much you've dug into that, but that is highly important. That Jesus tells us that you're not addressing your distant, aloof, impersonal creator. You're not even addressing the supreme ruler of the cosmos. You are addressing the intimate, personal God. He is your Father. Because this is not some stoic or positional relationship. He is God, but He is your Father. This is intimate. This is loving. This is personal. You know, I think sometimes we have this concept of God like he's, like he's so far away from us that it's hard to even connect, that you can't even come to his presence because that's a dangerous thing. In the Old Testament it was. But what we see through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ is that he died for a relationship and that he allows us to draw near. You know, our secretary, Brianna, we call her BB because we have another Brianna and we don't want to get them confused. So Brianna Baeza BB, as we call her, our secretary is great at screening calls. You would not believe the volume of people who call here and want to speak to the pastor or the preacher. And many times they don't need to speak to me. It's not something that I can help them with, but they feel like that if I talk to the preacher, it'll get done. Many times they need to talk to Tom, they need to talk to a deacon, they need to talk to an elder, maybe even need to talk to Jake or Blake, but they want to talk to the preacher. And B.B. is excellent at screening those calls. Every now and then she lets a telemarketer slip through and we beat her with a stick, but other than that, <laughs> she is really good at the job. There is one exception, though. If my wife calls, if my kids call, there is no filtering. There is no screening. There is no, and what is this in regards to? There is none of that. They immediately get access to me. If my child comes up here or my wife comes up here and they want in, you know, our offices are secured. If they don't have a card to get in, they are immediately let in and they make that long walk down the hallway to the end of the hall where I'm at because they always have access to me. Always. Because they're family. Because they belong to me. And that, in essence, is what Jesus is saying, is that, that God is accessible. Not only is he accessible, he is the Father, and you can approach him at any time. You don't have to address him in an impersonal way. You can come to him and be in close fellowship with him. I want you to notice what follows the Our Father portion. The first three petitions here have to do with God and his glory, and the next three petitions are focused on our needs and necessities. Prayer is never about bending God's will to my will. You know that. Prayer is always about me bending my will to God's will. It's full surrender, right? But I want you to notice the second part of this prayer. It deals with three human needs and three, I guess we could say, stages of time. 
first. There is the request for daily bread. We all need daily sustenance, right? And so we, we pray to God for our daily bread. This is a, a need of the present time. It's a daily need. You need it every day. But secondly, there's a request for forgiveness, which is a request from the past. You know, forgive me for the things that I have done. And then third, there is the petition for help in times of, uh, in times of uh, temptation. Why did I write it like that? That's hard to say. This request for strength in times of temptation is something that is future, Right? And so you have present, you have past, you have future. The model prayer is about bringing the whole of life into the presence of God. My past, my present, my future, I'm bringing it all to God. You could also look at it this way. When we ask God for our daily bread, we are directing our cares and concerns towards God the Father because he is the provider and the sustainer of life. When I bring to him the petition for forgiveness of my sins, I'm bringing that to Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Redeemer. And when I bring to him the temptation, please keep me from temptation, from acting on that temptation, I'm bringing that to God, the Spirit, the Comforter. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but it's incredible that this short, simple prayer takes the whole of human life, past, present, and future, and presents them to the Trinity, to the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus teaches us to bring our entire life before the fullness of God. But the first two words of the model prayer set the tone. They set the context for everything, right? Our Father. That's really all we need to know. He is our Father, and we can bring anything to Him knowing that He is our Father. You know, when the phone rings, when your cell phone rings, and you look down and you see a suspicious number, you think to yourself, I'm not going to answer it, and it keeps ringing. You think, okay, I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to answer it, and sure enough, it's a telemarketer. Or it's somebody you don't want to talk to, but when you look down, and that phone screen has a picture of your wife or your kids or your husband or your kids, or you see that number and it's from one of your kids, you immediately answer, don't you? When you hold that phone up to your ear and, and, and the voice on the other end says, Dad, your whole world stops. Because whatever they have to tell you from that point on, you're all ears. Your children can call you at any time and have access to you. Your spouse shouldn't be able to call you at any time and have access to you, right? Hopefully you don't look at that and go, ugh. The back in your pocket. I know sometimes you have friends call that that long-winded friend or, or or whatever. You know, I I had an I had an iPod when I was younger, and it held like five thousand songs or one voice message from my mother. It was you know crazy how much how much she liked to talk. Sometimes you have that long-winded friend call, and you put it on speaker, and you set the phone down, and you do your other things. You come back every now and then, and go yeah, uh huh, so that they know you're still there. But when your kids call or when your spouse calls. You're all ears. They have an access to you that nobody else does. I can call up my dad at any time, and he's there to listen. That's invaluable, to have a father like that, that you can call at any time. And that's what Jesus is saying. You have access at any time to the heavenly father. But as much as I love my dad, and as much as he will listen to me, and as much as he loves me, I address him as Larry McCurley, as dad, as father, but not as my heavenly father. I can't address him that way. 
He is not my heavenly father. I can't say to him, my father who is in heaven. Because that's not who he is. That's not his identity. My God and Father is in heaven, which means that his name is hallowed, which means that he has sent his kingdom, that he is the king of it. Only he can provide for my daily needs. Only he could send his son to die for my sins. My my dad would love to do that for me. My dad would die for me if it meant the forgiveness of my sins, but he can't do that. He can't take away my sin. Only my heavenly father can do that. I am just an earthly father myself. I am flawed. I make mistakes, yet I love my kids so much that it hurts. I would die for them. Yet how can I not trust a perfect father who loves me infinitely more than I could ever even begin to love my own kids? What we believe about God says everything about us. And if we only see God as a dictator who is looking down on us from heaven, seeking to catch us on a technicality so he can send us straight to hell, then we don't have a proper concept of God. Some people see God as a rule maker and a rule keeper. And so I've got to make sure that I do everything right so that I don't mess up and so that he doesn't condemn me on the spot. That's a wrong concept of God. Some people only see God with fear. That's wrong. Our Heavenly Father is just that. He is a loving Father, and Scripture repeats that over and over again. doesn't mean you don't have to obey. doesn't mean that that you don't have to keep the rules, so to speak, but you do that because you love your Father, not because you're afraid that He's going to catch you not crossing a T or dotting an I. You follow His commands because you love the Father, because the Father has set those commands in place because He loves you and He wants you to go to heaven. This is about a father-son, father-daughter relationship, right? And if you don't see God as father, you have completely missed his representation in Scripture. There's an old Roman story about an emperor who won a battle, and so he organizes this parade, and the parade is marching through the city streets, and people are lining the streets as they applaud and they cheer. There are these Roman soldiers that are there to hold the family, or to hold the, the, the people back that are cheering and applauding and all that, and the, the emperor is being paraded through the crowd with all his trophies and the prisoners of war. And then over on the side, there is a platform where the emperor's wife and children are sitting watching the proceedings. And as the emperor gets close, his little boy gets down off the platform and he burrows his way through the crowd and he gets up to one of the Roman soldiers and the Roman soldier says, hey, hey, wait, wait a minute, where are you going? And he says, I- I'm going to see the emperor. And he said, but you, you can't do that. You can't just run out there. Do you know who that is? That, that's the emperor. And the little boy laughs and he says, well, he may be your emperor, but he's my daddy. And I think when we think about God, So often we only think of him in terms of being an emperor, being a ruler, being somebody who is there to enforce all the laws. If you don't see God as a loving father, you have missed the representation in Scripture that is most prevalent. Now, I think it's important as a side note to mention that there are about three times in Scripture where you see Jesus address God as Abba, Father, It's not really a true translation. It's more of a transliteration. But Abba is always followed by pater in the Greek, which means father. Some have claimed that the term Abba is a very intimate 
term that is used for God. And so that when Jesus uses this term, he is literally saying daddy or papa. And maybe you've heard people pray that way and kind of catches you off guard, right? Where they address God as daddy or papa. I think it's worth noting that that's completely false. We should say that. That Abba does not equal daddy or papa. You know, yes, there is a personal intimate relationship with God that we get to share when we're in Christ. But that's taking the language too far. Abba does not translate daddy or papa. So I think we need to be careful there. But I will say this. Father is a term or a title for God that was not used regularly. In fact, among the Jewish leaders, it was rather off-limits. Yes, God is referred to as the Father of Israel in the Old Testament, but that kind of relationship was national. It wasn't personal. And so we don't see anyone else addressing God as Father until Jesus comes along. In fact, listen to this. A German scholar researched this and discovered that in the entire history of Judaism, in all the existing books of the Old Testament, and all existing books written by extra-biblical Jewish writers, dating back to the beginning of Judaism until the 10th century A.D. in Italy. There is not a single reference of a Jewish person addressing God directly in the first person as Father. It was a radical departure from tradition. Which shouldn't surprise you, right? Jesus was always upsetting the apple cart of tradition. People didn't refer to God as Father until Jesus comes along. And Jesus shows that I and the Father are one, that He is my personal Father, that I have an intimate relationship with Him. And what's even more radical to the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders is that Jesus invited His followers to refer or to address God as Father as well. However, it should be noted that not everyone has this special right or privilege. Not everyone can call God Father, can they? For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to promise. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 reads, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons of God, or God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You know, growing up, my mother was president of the Humane Society in Greene County, which meant that our house was the headquarters for the Humane Society in Greene County. We had dogs everywhere. We had a, what I affectionately called the cat barn outside that housed all the cats that were waiting for adoption. The unfortunate thing is you take in a whole lot more animals than you adopt out. And with limited funding, unfortunately, they don't get to stay around forever. My mom would dress up the little kittens in these little outfits, and the paper uh, would run 
you know, a picture of them during the week, and they called that Adopt-A-Cat or Adopt-A-Kitten or something like that. But even those best efforts, people didn't adopt cats or dogs on a regular basis. When they did call wanting to adopt an animal, you know what they asked for? Y'all have any Siamese? Y'all have any Great Pyrenees? Y'all have any, you know, they wanted these purebred animals. Now, like, you realize this is a humane society, right? We specialize in mutts and stray cats, you know. There are no purebreds here. I became very drawn to or attached to the solid black cats because nobody wanted them. Solid black cats never got adopted. I guess there's plenty of them. Nobody wanted them. So that was one run of cat that you always had. And unfortunately, they didn't stay around forever because nobody wanted them. So if there was a solid black cat that came in, I immediately got attached to it. I'd go out there, I'd play with the cats, but I'd always gravitate to the solid black ones because nobody wanted them. You know, in our adoption, as spiritual sons and daughters, God has looked at us and said, I want you. I want him, I want her, I want the ones that nobody wants. I want the ones that are losing their hair, that walk with a limp, that only have one eye and they're called lucky, I want them. I want the ones that nobody wants. I want them in my family. God wants to adopt us. The word adoption quite simply means taken by choice into a relationship. God looked at you and said, I want you. I want you to be a part of my family. You don't have to die. And the adoption papers were drawn up well ahead of time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. You know, adoption can be a very expensive process, but God was willing to pay that price. It was an astronomical price to allow his son to be sacrificed on that cruel cross, but it meant that we could call him father, that we could be brought near, that we could live with him for eternity. You know, there are people living, there are children, they're living in orphans in this world that would probably envy America's prison system. The conditions they're living in are horrible. There's disease. There's malnourishment. They're not being taken care of. And God looks at, at those of us who are diseased with sin. He looks at us who, who are not being fed spiritually, who are spiritually malnourished. He looks at those of us that nobody else wants. He says, I want you. I'll take you. If you have me, I will have you. But you think about what it would be like if, if there was a child living in, in poor conditions in an orphanage somewhere in third world in a third world country, and, and, and some people came in that wanted to adopt them and give them a better life, and that child said, no thanks, I'm good. I'll just stay here. Thanks, though. I mean, that, that would seem unfathomable. That would seem silly, right? And yet there are many people in our world today who do that. There are many people, and maybe there are some sitting here this morning that have decided, no, nah, I'll hold off. I know God wants me, but ah, I'm good. It really kind of seems silly when you think about it, right? Why would we refuse adoption? 
when it's the most perfect father who wants to adopt us. You know, when we become adopted, when we go through that adoption process, there's no more emptiness, there's no more loneliness, there's no more hopelessness. Our Heavenly Father gives us what every orphan needs, which is a home. You know, I've been called a lot of things in my life, some good, some bad. But the best thing I've ever been called is daddy or father. When I was coaching and and it had been a rough night or even it had been a good night, you walk through those doors and my three kids that were small at the time, they didn't care who won the game, they didn't care how well I did. They just come running and screaming, yelling, daddy, daddy, and they grab you by the leg and they almost knock you over because they're so happy to see you. That means the world to me. To be called Father is a gift like nothing else. And we see Jesus over and over again refer to God as the Heavenly Father. There's obviously a connection there that we see span over time. It even began before the beginning of time. Jesus refers to God as Father. Except for that one time he didn't. You remember that time? Remember when Jesus was writhing in pain on the cross? And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one time he doesn't doesn't cry out, Abba, Father, Abba, Father, why have you forsaken me? He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? He doesn't refer to God as Father in that moment. That was a moment where God had to turn his back on his son. Can you imagine as a father, turning your back on your son while he is hanging in agony. Can you imagine hanging in agony while your father turned his back on you? But it had to be that way. If just for a moment, it had to be that way. Jesus feels the abandonment in that moment. He doesn't call God his father in that moment. So that we can call God Father going forward. You think about that, how amazing that is. You think about the magnitude and the magnification and the ramifications of all this. The one instance in which Jesus speaks to the Father but doesn't call him that. It was that moment that God abandoned his son so that you and I could call him Father. Jesus endured agonizing separation from the Heavenly Father so that we could be brought near. The son became an orphan. Son became an orphan so that we could be adopted by the Father.
You know, I hope, if nothing else, the lesson this morning has taught us that we cannot treat this relationship casually. This is not some flippant relationship that we can just quickly dismiss. I want you to remember this going forward. The only reason that you are able to start your prayer with Father or our Father is because Jesus endured those hours when he could not. The one instance where Jesus didn't call God Father means that I can call God Father for all eternity. Maybe you need to go through the adoption process. Maybe you need the prayers and support of this church family. Whatever your need is, come as we stand and as we sing.